of Jesse, because of Christmas, this is what the world and creation and the universe is going to end up looking like. This is the ultimate plan of God. Um, Isaiah, in this passage, doesn't really go into so much the, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. Let, let's take that as a given. That's, that's kind of essential for the second coming you have to go. Anyway, let's have a look. What, what's happening here? Chapter 1, uh, chapter excuse me, 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. You might remember that this is, as you said, Reg, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, Well, this is speaking about Jesus, but if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 16, I think it is. Revelation 22, right at the end, verse 16, Jesus says, uh, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you, John, this testimony for my churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Says Jesus, what Isaiah was speaking about when he spoke about this, this root of Jesse is me. I am the root and the offspring of David. Oh, wait a second. Can I draw that link? I, I mean... Jesus calls himself the root and the offspring of David. Isaiah says, no, no, he's the, he's the root of, of Jesse. Now we know that, that Jesse was uh, the father of David, but how come Isaiah speaks about Jesse and Jesus speaks about David? What, what's happening there? Well, I think largely it's a cultural difference that's happening there. By the time Jesus uh, walked the earth, people were looking back with pride to the Davidic kingdom and and the empire. But when Isaiah was writing, if you were to speak of of the kingly line of David, you were to speak of a failed royalty uh, and and a line of kings that had gradually gone from worst to worst to worst to worst and and eventually uh, all sorts of nasty things happened to the people of Israel and Judah and, and eventually the kings are dethroned and, and there is no Davidic line and, and to even think of, of, of a new king coming in the vein of David is to, to think how ridiculous. And yet Isaiah says, no, go back before things started going wrong. The son of Jesse will be the king, will be the one who rules in God's new creation. Because unlike any other human ruler, says verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 11, unlike any human ruler, uh, either back in those days or in today uh, as well, nobody except Jesus Christ is fully qualified to rule and reign in the coming kingdom of God. And the reason we're told in verse 2 is is that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and power, of knowledge, of the fear of the Lord. Now you probably know that if you read through the Old Testament, there's, there's quite a few times when the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon people. Uh, Deuteronomy, about chapter 16, is that right? No. Not even the right book. Exodus chapter 31. 
um, we've got the story of Bezaliel, um, who is uh, one of the workmen set, uh, tasked by God to build the tabernacle. And we read there in chapter 31, God says, um, I, I have put my spirit on Bezaliel so that he will have the wisdom to, to build this tabernacle for me. So what's so special about Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 where it says the qualified one to rule in God's kingdom is the one on whom the spirit rests? That's nothing new. God's been putting his spirit on people for years. But the difference is that in the Old Testament when God's spirit came upon somebody it was for a task and for a purpose. And when that task and purpose had finished, the Spirit left. There, there's that great incident in, I think it's the book of Samuel, where Saul is, is just being um, told by Samuel that he's going to be the next king and he's on his way, chuffing off back home, I think, and, and he meets some prophets and he starts, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him and he starts prophesying. Uh, and Samuel loves to quote and say, that's why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? Because he was acting out of the Spirit of God. But we know the story of Saul because God's Spirit was lifted off him and he turned into a murderous tyrant. In other words, says Isaiah, the one who is going to rule God's kingdom is the one who is covered with the Spirit. And I think it's... it's, it's it's fair of us to say that if you are to rule in God's kingdom, you can never have the Spirit taken away from you. Because if the Spirit is taken away from you, you are no longer fit to rule. Jesus, we know, is God, and, and the Spirit is His Spirit. But you might sit there thinking, well, that's all very well, Nick, but you're talking Old Testament, aren't Aren't we as Christians also given the Spirit? Doesn't God's Spirit rest upon us? Doesn't the Spirit live within us? How come we can't rule in God's kingdom? Good news is we actually will rule with Jesus. But the reason we will rule with Jesus is because we have been given of Jesus' Spirit. I mean, think about it. What, what is it about Jesus having the spirit that makes him fit to rule. It says Isaiah verse 2 here, it's the spirit of, of wisdom, of God, Jesus knowing what pleases God, what makes God smile in every situation. There's a, a simple definition of wisdom, knowing what pleases God. It's the spirit of understanding, that Jesus being able to see beyond the human levels. He, he knows everything. It's the spirit of counsel, Jesus and the Father being one, they, they are always in total accord as to what they are going to be doing. It's a spirit of power, Jesus himself, at a word being able to move mountains, at a, at a word to the fig tree, he says, wither up and die, and the fig tree withers up as dies. And at a word, Jesus says, have sight, and the person has sight. He, he has the spirit of power and the spirit of knowledge where nothing is hidden from him, where, where every single thing that happens in the world is, is before his eyes. Can you imagine a ruler with those qualities? Just imagine a ruler who knew everything. Imagine if our politicians knew everything. 
I think they do. They don't. Would we have invaded Iraq? Would there be any fuss about asylum seekers if our rulers could just say, yeah, genuine, 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 genuine? Would we complain about being ripped off by the government if they knew about all the different times we'd ripped them off? Says Isaiah, this stump of Jesse, this coming ruler of God's kingdom, is the one who is filled with the Spirit and in whom there is this incredible fear of the Lord. Verse 3 says, Isaiah, Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. And I said just now that, that we will rule with Jesus one day when he returns, but, but you know the difference between you and I until that moment is I don't think we delight in the fear of the Lord as much as Jesus does. When times get tough, how easy it is for, for us to just say, well, oh, let, let's sidestep a little bit here, God. Where Jesus, when, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he's about to be put upon that cross and, and, and he says, Father, I really don't want to do this, but not my will but yours. I will delight myself in you, Lord. I will delight myself in honoring you and, and furthering your purpose no matter what. And says Isaiah, that is the one who has the right to rule, who puts God and the honor of God and the glory of God above all things, above even himself and his life. Says Isaiah, this is the coming ruler of creation. And really that fear of the Lord is, is the central tenet of the character of Jesus. And it comes out, it finds expression in his acting and his living in righteousness. In practical terms, we see here in verses 4 to 6 how, how Jesus stands up for the weak and the poor and, and the needy. Isaiah tells us that, that unlike people in his day, the rulers of, of, of his era and unlike the rulers of our era, this, this ruler, this Jesus, doesn't rule on the basis of heresy and, not heresy, hearsay. Hearsay. And, and, and he doesn't make snap judgments which are wrong. He, he knows all things. He makes righteous decisions. Uh, about ooh, seven years back now, I was on jury duty. I don't know if you've ever done jury duty, but what you have to do is, is weigh the evidence and see whether there is reasonable doubt about whether somebody has committed the crime. We work in this age in, as human people, as sinful people, we work with, with reasonable doubt. But says Isaiah, God's ruling king works out of knowledge, works out of pure understanding. And because of that, he is the only one who has the authority to execute judgment. Because he alone knows what is true and what is false. And verse 4 says, Isaiah over there in the second half, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. In other words, says Isaiah, the, the king of God's kingdom rules by his word. When he speaks, he speaks as God speaks. 
when he passes judgment and says guilty, it is the same as him acting. Because he is the word of God. Remember, back in in creation, when God spoke the universe into being, his word is, is powerful and active. And Jesus Christ, the King of the new creation, so endowed is He with the Holy Spirit that that everything He says comes to pass. Consequence and and word are are not separated at all. And we see in verse 5 there that, that, that Isaiah describes Him as having righteousness as His belt and faithfulness as the sash around His waist. Um, They didn't wear shorts back in those days. Um, Kind of a dress, I think, they wore. Um, And your belt or your sash was what held your clothing together. Sort of what made your outfit work, if I can use those terms. It says Isaiah there, basically, what holds Jesus' rule together is his righteousness and his faithfulness. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus is righteous and faithful just by being true to himself? I mean, you think of our rulers today, and uh, what is the belt around their waist? (laughs) Hold their pants up. (laughs) That's true for some of them. (laughs) Pride? Self-interest? Longing for money? For prestige? For wealth? Maybe for some, it's prejudice defining their characters. And, and, and Isaiah turns around and says, no, if we are to find the ruler of God's new creation, what holds him together, what defines him is, is not one of our human foibles and failings, but, but righteousness and justice and faithfulness itself. No, sorry. Shame in South Africanism means, oh, cute. Um, it's, it's happened to my family members where they've said to an Australian, oh, shame. And the person thought they were being so nasty, saying shame. I have to excuse myself there. The righteousness and the faithfulness of God. I mean, this is all the theory of of, of why Jesus is going to be the king, why Jesus is the king. This is, this is all the theory of, of, of what it means for Jesus to be the king when he returns. But, but really, what does it mean in practice? What will it look like in practice when all things are set right, when Jesus comes back? And we've got this here in verses 6 to the end of chapter 11. And we see basically how creation which has been marred and broken by humanity's rebellion against God. Remember we looked at that um, a few weeks back when we looked at Genesis chapter 3. We see here in Isaiah that, that when Jesus comes and claims his kingdom, when the stump of Jesse arrives, the curse which God put on the land and on creation and the judgment which He puts on on humanity is totally lifted. And we see here in chapter 11 
verse 6, how the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. So completely is humanity's right and authority to rule over all creation set back into place. Remember when God made the world, He said to Adam that He was giving him authority over it, to rule over it. And when Jesus comes and and establishes His kingdom, so above creation in authority will humanity be that that even a little child like the one that's that's crying out the back could, could go and say, I am standing here as God's authoritative figure over this world. And you'll notice there in verses 6 and 7 that that Isaiah puts together a, a wild animal with a domestic animal every time. So a lion um, and a sheep and a, a leopard and a lamb. Sorry, a leopard and a goat, a wolf and a lamb, a, a bear and a cow, basically. And, and, and I think what Isaiah is trying to say is that, that no longer will there be domesticated animals and non-domesticated animals. There's just going to be God's creation. And humanity under God in control of His creation. And I just love verse 8, because remember, uh, the big curse at the fall was God saying to the snake that, that He would put enmity between His offspring and, and the offspring of, of, of Adam and Eve, of humanity. And we see here in verse 8 of chapter 11 how, how the infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. And they will neither harm nor destroy. The curse, the curse of Genesis, says Isaiah, is totally lifted. We are back to, are we back to Eden? No, we're, we're back to greater than Eden. To a more wonderful world, to a, to a more paradisical paradise. Because Verse 9, because the earth, on the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Remember, Eden was this garden where God had put humanity. It says Isaiah, you know, when Jesus returns, it's not going to be a little garden where all of us Christians will be penned off. The whole earth will be full of the knowledge of God and the whole earth Will, will be under the dominion of God. The whole earth will be God's holy mountain. And there will be no place that we can go where we can say, this is not as God 100% intends things to be. It's going to be brun- uh, brilliant, wonderful. Amazing. And in verse 10 to verse 16, we have this rallying cry of Jesus. Isaiah has just said to us, look, the king, the stump of Jesse, who you have celebrated at Christmas, he is coming to make things better than they ever were, better than before the fall, and now he is calling all peoples to come 
and rally around him. So we've got here in, in Isaiah 11 verse 10, we've got the root of Jesse standing as a banner for the peoples. And the nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Or as the Greek version of the Old Testament puts it, the nations will come and they will place their hope in him. Paul quotes this, this passage in Romans chapter 15 about verse 12 and same thing, he speaks about the coming of Jesus and how we today put our hope and our trust in Him. And as Reg said, what draws us in is the cross of Christ. Jesus in John chapter 12 verse 32 said that well, let me quote his words, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Because my rule and my reign is beginning, and soon it will have come, and soon the whole earth will be filled with my glory, and the light which has broken into the darkness will, will have so consume the darkness that there is no place where, where there is even a shadow. And we read there, we're not going to go into depth there, but verse 11 to 16, and we read how, how all peoples from all nations are gathered together to share in the rule of Christ, to, to live under the rule of Christ. And, and, and Isaiah explores there a bit how how not, not only the animals are brought together and united and, and set at peace, but, but all peoples are come together and, and are living at peace with one another, whether they are Jews or, or Gentiles or, or the, the separated tribes of Israel and Judah. They, they are all come together to live in the kingdom of God. And that is such good news. You know, I just love how Isaiah finishes that. He's told this news of, of God acting to make things new and better and more wonderful and more amazing. And Jesus, the rallying cry for us to come. And, and he just gets lost in verse 12. And he says, in that day, my friends, you will, praise, you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And great things has He done. And great things is he doing. And boy, you better believe great things is he going to do. Let's, um, let's sing our last song this morning. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy our pardon. An empty grave is there to prove our Savior lives.